Hello and welcome to the QCS General Practice Podcast, empowering GP practices with the latest expert insights. I'm Tracy Green, Head of Primary Care at QCS, and today I'll be talking with my colleague Alison Lowerson, who is the GP Policy Lead at QCS. In this episode, we'll be talking about appraisals. As we know, in March last year, the GP appraisals were suspended to allow doctors to focus on the clinical work and be deployed in the most appropriate way to support the COVID-19 emergency. Following the national COVID vaccine rollout, which has put increased pressure on primary care staff and left some surgeries really stretched, the NHS is battling a further wave fuelled by a number of mutant variants. So today we'll be briefly discussing whether GP and staff appraisals should continue to be suspended until the pandemic ends and focus on what the future appraisal system might look like in a post-COVID regulatory landscape. Hi Alison. Hi Tracy. So Ali, the debate around appraisals really has divided the GP community. Why do some GPs wish to put the process on pause? I can understand why some GPs would want to pause the appraisal process. And I can also see why practice staff might not be keen to be appraised, especially during the pandemic, when some job roles have changed overnight, with many staff finding themselves covering for colleagues who were shielding or self-isolating. And this has added to their workload. But for many working right in the middle of the pandemic, discussing personal development goals when so many patients are seriously ill might seem to them somewhat inappropriate. Yes, I get that. There are also those who want the appraisal process to to carry on. Why is this? I know that some in primary care want appraisals to continue. Uh, They argue that the revised GP appraisal system, which was introduced late last year, which is a pared back version of the original template, can make a positive difference. But most importantly, those who want appraisals to continue, they do so because they're concerned that clinical safety standards could actually slide. They also worry that postponing the appraisal process just for even a few months might mean that practice staff could miss out on important updates or slip into silo working and in doing so lose sight of the collaborative working culture, which we both know has long been a key strength of primary care. And also with mental health issues really taking a toll more than any other time, it could be argued that appraisals are more important than ever been. Appraisals conducted in the right way, though, can help GPs and practice managers to monitor and support the emotional well-being of their team. We also know that the CQC are still checking compliance. So what action should GP practices that have suspended the appraisal process take now to satisfy the CQC? Well, appraisals are a requirement of the Health and Social Care Act, and many particular appraisers, of course, will be aware that all practice employees must receive appropriate support, training and professional development and also supervision and appraisals to carry out their duties. So even if the appraisal process continues to be suspended, GPs and practice managers will still have to demonstrate that we're providing appropriate guidance and support to their employees. And to comply with CQC requirements, they'd also need to demonstrate that they meet the uh, CQC's key lines of inquiry in ensuring that staff have the skills, the knowledge and experience to deliver effective care and treatment. But moving forward, even practices that have decided to put appraisals on hold should still not entirely forget about them. It won't be long before they need to reinstate the appraisal process. And when they do, they'll need to hit the ground running. And many practice managers are using this time to plan right now. Okay, so how did they do that? In my opinion, uh, practice managers should be discussing with their staff and PPGs exactly what impact moving into a post-COVID world is likely to have on the surgery. 
and then agree with the staff the impact it may have in the appraisal process. They should consider what they could do differently to support staff, what changes they could make to policies and procedures, and check the correct communication protocols and reporting procedures are in place. There are many more issues, of course, and the primary objective for every practice should be to put in place a robust appraisal process that meets CQC requirements, of course, and most crucially, though, the needs of the team. That all sounds like sound advice, Ali. Thank you. What QCS policies and procedures can GPs and practice managers utilise? At QCS, we've got the uh, development and appraisal policy, which is a fundamental uh, policy because in the fog of the pandemic and any other time for that matter, it's crucial that set performance objectives are realistic and achievable. And appraisals must be written in accessible language and should be clearly communicating the expected employee objective. Finally, the appraisal should not just focus on the employee, but also the people they work with. Most of all, an appraisal should communicate they're not just a single cog in the machine, but a valued member of the wider team, all of whom are working incredibly hard towards agreed goals. At QCS, we've also produced a meetings policy, which includes um, a structured agenda um, and plenty of templates to ensure effective communication continues to support staff as well as providing safe and effective patient services. That is great. All sounds really fantastic. From your discussions with GPs, practice managers and the teams, what lessons have practices learned from the COVID crisis and how are they using this knowledge now to improve the appraisal process? During the pandemic, an important step change for many GP practices has been to try to maintain effective support and responsibility. And I believe that supervision, which is part of the annual appraisal process, should be deeply embedded in the fabric of every practice. It needs to be part of fostering a culture of safety and learning. And we have a supervision policy which helps practice managers to ensure that arrangements are in place to provide a safe and confidential environment for staff to reflect on and discuss their work. It also provides the building blocks of practice managers to set up best practice organisational frameworks, which can demonstrate learning activities that have made a profound cultural difference on the way in which their staff work. But some, of course, already have this in place. And when I refer to having a positive supervision culture, I need to kind of make a distinct a distinction between the professional culture that already exists, because clinical supervision is a mandatory requirement anyway. But a new collaborative model, which includes non-clinical staff, and in addition to being anchored to continuous improvement, it's designed to build psychological resilience and manage emotional well-being, which is really uh, important right now. So how would this supervision model work in practice? Well, if you haven't already done so, uh, GPs and practice managers could introduce monthly roundtable meetings. These meetings, which could also be virtual for those um, working from home, should include every member of staff, even those who are self-isolating. These so-called what went well, what didn't go well retrospectives are a really great way to collect honest and constructive feedback from practice staff to make any necessary changes. Of course, the meetings would also provide an opportunity for people within the surgery to reflect on the positives because it's important that staff recognise uh, really good practice. And sometimes, especially during the pandemic, when staff are firefighting, information can go awry. So reinforcing positive examples in a group setting is great for team spirit. While logging these meetings every month will provide the CQC with evidence that the practice has established a safe, well-led and effective culture amongst their staff. Yes, definitely a benefit for the team's well-being, whilst holding evidence for the CQC by doing those things too. What can practices learn from the NHS wellbeing initiatives? 
I think the practice is really, really good at incorporating new thinking into their processes and policies and procedures. We know this from the way they've reacted to the pandemic. And although they have a duty of care to their staff and patients to do so, it's a still a requirement of the CQC who want to see that practices are still meeting the caring responsive key lines of inquiry too. But that said, I think the creation of primary care networks and integrated care systems have also helped many GPs to embrace new ideas. GP practices, for example, provide mental health and support via NHS initiatives. And while many haven't been able to do so during the pandemic, they also operate an open door policy where staff are encouraged to talk about the personal challenges they face. Of course, not everyone wants to open up, but managers are trained to observe and listen to staff. And by taking this very person-centred approach, they can spot signs of burnout and nip it in the bud before it becomes a really big problem. And many practices have also forged close links with mental health services that can range counselling if they feel a staff member needs it. And there's plenty of online resources from the NHS as well. So while adding an extra element of supervision into the evaluation process may seem arduous, especially when many practices have decided to put appraisals on hold, if it safeguards mental health and gives staff the confidence to report concerns, then it can only be a good thing, in my opinion. That is a really great overview, Ali. Thank you. Thanks, Tracy. And I hope that this has been useful for our listeners. Thank you for listening today. To find out more about QCS, please visit qcs.co.uk forward slash GP podcast.